You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. We're going to go right into this message. I want to put the title of it up first called Bearing Much Fruit. And this comes as a result of studying the concept of fruit in the Bible and what it means to bear fruit. And of course, we know that the Lord is requiring us to bear fruit. And there are a lot of issues surrounding the subject that create some confusion in believers and even condemnation about what that even is. What does it mean? We know that Jesus frequently used the word to bear fruit, the phrase. In fact, he used it more frequently than anyone else in the Bible. Only just in the 15th chapter alone of John, he mentions it like seven times. Five specific categories of things that he does through that that we're going to see in a moment. But it is everywhere through the Bible. When he taught, he often taught about agrarian culture and society, about planting. A sower went out to sow the seed. And he talked about harvest. And we know that he's concerned about our productivity. And when I think of it from a perspective, the secular perspective, if you look at a company, you know that year end, as you come into the end of the year, often companies will have their board of directors get together and they discuss what? They discuss the productivity of the business. Is it making a profit? Is it doing well? They want to know what's the profit margin? How much is being made? What can we do to become what? More prosperous or more fruitful? Well, similar to that is our spiritual life because the kingdom of God, analogous to the corporate world, is an environment of productivity and that God wants our spiritual existence to be a productive existence. That means we are bearing fruit in a spiritual capacity. And that's what this message is about. In introduction, I want to start with John chapter 12, verse 24, where it says, Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel or a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Paul writes to, the, uh, to those at Colos, the Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So here you see that it was Paul's desire and prayer that the people of the churches bear fruit. Finally, Luke chapter 13, a bit of a menacing passage, but applicable in light of our context. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and, when, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. So I see here... And many other passages, I'm eliminating a lot so for the sake of time. There are so many references to this fruitfulness. 
And there are scary passages about the opposite of the fruitfulness. If we're not fruitful, if we're not producing. And in this message, and actually in this season right now, this message for me is important because we, I think we're kind of in a season in the church world where there could be a, a pendulum swing toward the over-dependence upon grace to get us through everything. In fact, if people will use that liberty as a cloak of... Uh, getting out of responsibilities about what we need to do for God on earth, our productivity, spiritually speaking. And so that message that we're looking at here is about that God wants us to bear much fruit. It's throughout the scriptures. By design, he has created us to be fruitful. Remember from the very beginning, that's what he said about humanity. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, of course, that's biologically procreating. We can all do that. And uh, I don't know if we can afford all the kids we had if we did without limit and have child after child after child. But still, we can do that. We are reproducing ourselves, of course, on planet Earth right now. There are a lot of people just kind of replacing themselves by having two children as a couple. But there are other families that are bigger, different cultures. But there is also a capacity in us to be fruitful in the things that we do, the labor of our hands. Those of us at work in different positions and different jobs, we can do things to cause there to be a productivity that will cause our value to rise. And so during this time, I find that it's important that we consider this, that Paul praying here, for instance, for the church to be filled with the knowledge of the will of the Father through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In other words, the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to become fruitful. The Holy Spirit can give us the ability to, be, to do what the Bible is telling us. He wanted them to live worthy when he prayed for them, Paul did, and he was praying for them to bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. In other words, that we're not just spectators of what's going on. We are participants. We will produce, and I believe that all of us want to bear fruit for our King. I don't think there's anyone in this room that would say, you know, I'm not really interested in bearing fruit. And so now an issue that arises in this subject is what does this mean? What does it mean to bear fruit? And if I ask you the question, what does it mean to bear fruit? You might even think of a lot of different things. And I always had this thought, right? Maybe because I come from a very uh, evangelistically inclined church in my first years after knowing Christ. And everything was pretty much calibrated by our souls that we win. Uh, just now going on to be with the Lord Reinhard Bunker. I mean, think about how many souls. If he had, if you were assessing the value of a spiritual being on earth, equal their value equal to the number of souls that have come to know Christ because of you, in that pure picture, then productivity would be off the charts with somebody like Reinhardt. And he's going now, and I, and I, you know, I, th I can't, can't help but imagine what his mansion is going to be like in heaven, all the rewards the Lord will give him for his many years of sacrifice that he did before he left. And he's only 79, and that's young, I believe, uh, in his day and age. But he, he knew his time was coming, and that's why he handed the ministry over. And now he's home. And I make a joke and say that I sure hope that my mansion's nowhere near his mansion, because I would hate to have my little mansion in the shadow of a Reinhard Bunker heavenly mansion. I mean, if rewards are given corresponding to the productivity in that sense. And that traditionally was my mentality. But I found that if you value a believer by how many souls they've won, you put them in a very difficult position. 
So I started thinking of it in the scripture, and really we're going to study in a moment John chapter 15 and all the references to bearing fruit, and I'll tell you already that I was surprised to find out that none of them are really connected to how many souls we win. And in fact, bearing fruit in the Bible, in vain I searched. Where does it say, or what scriptures could refer to us to make us feel that we better win a bunch of souls, and if not, maybe we can take the parable of the talents. Maybe we can think that. But then I started looking at people in the Bible. How many fruitless, by that standard, how many fruitless people are in the Bible? There are people who live their whole lives. I like what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 in the, in the Hall of Fame of Faith. It says that these died having never seen substantiated their hopes, what they were hoping for. In other words, the Jeremiah, for instance, what fruit did he have in his life? By those standards, like you are equal in value to the souls you've won. And I'm not saying don't win souls. The Bible is very clear. It tells us we need to go out and preach the gospel. But there's a lot more to fruitfulness than that. And Jesus spoke about it often. And we know Matthew 25, where he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. So we start to get a glimpse into what fruitfulness is, and it's clear in this passage, and that's where I identified some things so that we can avoid uh, condemnation. And there are a lot of believers out there that feel condemned, and maybe sometimes you wrestle with it if a month, two months, three months goes by, and you haven't won somebody to the Lord you didn't hold the hands of a crying sinner and tell them, you know, bring them into heaven and they get saved. And, and that's good. But I find that also sometimes if we have a mentality of soul winning like that, souls become numbers. And on a numerical value, we keep a chart and we put little check boxes. But I don't that is actually opposite to what Jesus teaches. Because he doesn't teach us that we're numbers. Quite the contrary. And in this very passage, you're going to find out he doesn't even see us as servants in this context. He sees us as friends. So I want us to get into this so that if you've come under any condemnation about your evaluation concerning your fruitfulness, you understand fruitfulness might be different than you thought. And that's what we cover in this message. And so we're going to see here in the 15th chapter of John all this concerning what it means to bear fruit. And we're going to see five things about bearing fruit for Christ. Because it is my, as a pastor here, as a leader, teacher, preacher, elder, I want you all to be fruitful. And I want anybody that, that listens to my ministry to be fruitful. I want to be fruitful. I really do. Uh, if in a, in a pure sense, you say, well, what is fruitful? If you look at an apple tree and there's apples on it, that tree is fruitful, right? If you look at an apple tree and there is no apples on it, the tree is not fruitful. So at face value, yes, we do need to reproduce ourselves. I, for one, for instance, as a missionary, just so happens that my drive in life is to produce missionaries. And so I'm a missionary tree. And around me, I want there to be clusters of missionaries prepared. That's why I'm doing this seminar, January, February, in Kamyan, because I'm trying to raise up missionaries to do what I do or what I have done. So that is a reproduction of self. That's okay, but what if you are a prophet? Well, then it would be prophets. What if you are an evangelist? Then maybe evangelist. If you are a pastor, well, what if you're a banker? Then it would be bankers. Maybe you can have mentor relationships with people and you can help them grow because the Bible is not necessarily speaking about you producing a bunch of ministers. It's talking about you loving people 
And so that might be, even in a secular realm, maybe you're helping someone to be a, a better carpenter. You Maybe you're really good at writing, but stories, or even a journalist. And then you bring someone along, and out, out of your sacrificial gift to them, you spend time mentoring them to help them. That's loving someone. If someone has a debility or, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, a problem in their life where they're not good at an area and you see it, how many of you have ever wanted to help somebody? I know this. I'll go to the uh, range and, you know, practice my golf swing, and there's always somebody nearby that has mercy on me. They look at the swing and they're like, you know what? You need to do this. Slow down your backswing. It's like they want to do something, but they don't need to do that. They're sacrificing. So there's many ways that we can look at this, not just locking it into a Christian perspective, but opening up to what does it mean to be fruitful in our kindness toward people. So let's start with the first one. Uh, number one, we bear fruit by taking our place in the kingdom. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more so we start by accepting the fact that we have to take our place in God's kingdom. And to do that, we know that God is expecting us to reproduce. He's expecting us to be fruitful. And that's good, but the problem comes in when we don't quite understand what that means. And what should we do? But we do know this, that if we are doing something, if we're bearing fruit, it costs it is a sacrifice. If you go back to the analogy that Jesus is using about planting and, and raising crops and heart, no farmer has ever told me their job is easy. I know farmers. I know real farmers. I spend time with them because the, the, the whole idea of it fascinates me. None of them have said it's the easiest thing in the world. All of them have said it's hard. Very early, you wake up early, you go to bed late. You, it's a, a, a laborious I mean, it's very difficult. And they also have other issues. And one that's a risk, and it's a gamble, because sometimes there may be a hailstorm, or there may be blight that comes, or uh, some swarm of locusts come and eat up their crop. And they have to hedge their bets, so to speak, often, and, and produce extra so that in case some is lost. It's a, it's a hard work. It's just like this in the spiritual capacity. You know that you are bearing fruit if it has cost you something. It's difficult. God is able to do great things through you, but you're going to be required to do something. And we pay a price for other people. Now, if we are bearing fruit, I do know this also, he will prune us, which means he will come to you. If you've produced anything, there will be a season that it seems like you are unproductive. And you may even come under condemnation at that moment and feel like, you know, I'm not winning as many souls as before, or I'm not preaching like I used to, I'm not doing this. Well, I want you to consider that it's very possible that you came through a season of fruitfulness, and now he is trimming away the things that do not belong. He is refining you. He's pruning you. But that's our place in the kingdom. You take the place in the kingdom of God. Find out what is he expecting of us. And really the rest of this message is talking about exactly that. What is it? What does he want from us? So we go straight to number two now. We bear fruit by hearing and repeating his words. This is the base level of fruitfulness. Now consider, before we go on to the beginning of this passage, consider what was just told to the people hearing this. 
They were just told, you're going to get cut off if you don't bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, off with your head. You're going to get thrown into the fire. So they're scared. And they're thinking, well, are we guilty? Are we not producing fruit? We better get busy producing fruit because I don't want to do that according to this analogy. But he says to them immediately, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remained in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So right here from the very beginning, we find the powerful word of God. That we know that our salvation depends upon not just hearing the word of God, but speaking the word of God. And so the very first level of fruitfulness of the believer is the words that come out of your mouth. If you're speaking scripture, if you're speaking what Jesus said, if you're speaking words about Christ, well, first of all, that is salvation itself, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10. You believe in the heart, and you do what? You confess with your mouth. If you sit in a church service, you hear messages, you listen to words. I'm reading scripture. We cover, I'm a very, I use a lot of passages, as you know from my teachings. I make sure that you get a lot of Bible in context, but we cover a lot of passages and a lot of scriptures that's going into you, into your mind, into your heart. You're thinking about it, but you can take all of that in without it coming back out. And that's where fruitfulness disappears. Your fruitfulness is the recitation of the thing you received. So when a seed is planted into you, because the Bible talks about scriptures being like the word of God is like the seed. He said in that parable, when you hear scripture, when you at home read the Bible, as you should be doing every day, and you read a scripture and you look at the passage, does it come back out? Think about the parable of the talents. There was one man that took it and hid it, wrapped it in a napkin, buried it in the backyard. God was not too happy with that. But the ones who received and then did something with it. Now, it's one thing in a physical object to do that. It's one thing if I give you a sum of money and expect you to invest it and make money from me, which is the talents and the meanness. But the word of God is more powerful and more value than anything else. It says heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. That's what's eternal. That should be the most important thing in our life, should be his words. And fruitfulness for us on the most foundational level is when we speak scripture. We speak the word of God. I'm not saying you have to walk around to everybody only talking Bible. You know, hi, my name is Stephen. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Nicodemus came to see Jesus. You know, you don't have to go around. But I find that you can let scripture come out of your mouth. You can mention what was preached. And when, as soon as you do that, that's fruit. You suddenly in that moment realize, wow, out of the mouth is coming the fruit and that's what Jesus is talking about. You've already, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. He knew that they were going to go into all the world and share those things. Plus, they had the Holy Spirit to help them do so. He said, in the counsel of the comfort that comes to you will remind you of everything I told you, he said. So every word that goes in, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son are working in a team to make sure those words don't just stay in there, but that you bear fruit. And so you speak it, you share it, you tell people about it. And that's very important. 
Salvation comes. Also, many other things come from speaking. Healing comes from speaking words of health and life. It says death and life are in the power of the tongue. So fruitfulness as a believer is that we speak positive things. Also, it's not very fruitful if we are speaking negative things. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What goes in comes out. So what are you putting in there? Uh, we need to put the word of God in there and then let it back out. And that's the first level. You might be thinking, well, I do that. I share scriptures all the time. I tell people. I try to. I, I meet with people. Tell them what the Bible says. I tell taxi cab drivers and copy time uncles and, you know, people I meet. I mention principles of the word of God to them. Even if they are not believers like I am, I still bear the fruit of scripture and also of testimony and the things that that he has spoken to me and your testimony is so powerful recently I've been finding that my testimony uh, works to penetrate the minds of people who are not able to hear the word of God in other words you start reciting passages of scripture and they cannot receive it but they will listen to your story if you say I have a testament this is my story it was so fun. We went to Little India again, and uh, Andrea came, and she got to see some of the guys that I talked to that are really just nuts. These people are crazy. And if I preach scripture to those guys, they don't get it. They just look off, and they start talking about something. But if I say, I'm going to tell you my story, they shut up and listen. And that's why I thought of the passage. It said that they overcame Antichrist by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So when we actually tell someone a story, about our life with God, that's the fruit. You understand? So on that most basic level, that you can do by speaking those things. First, we saw that we need to take our place. Understanding the whole fruitfulness is our mission. We need to be fruitful. Secondly, that we can do that, firstly, by speaking those words. Whatever we hear, speak it. Whatever you receive in your devotional time of reading, I'm not saying go and tell everybody what I'm preaching here, but what you read, what you understand in the scriptures, then speak those passages to people. And so how often do you speak the words of Jesus to people? How often do you speak your testimony to people? Find a way to put yourself in a position to do that. And I know it's not easy, and sometimes we're tired. Have you ever been in that moment where you're talking to the guy, maybe in a taxi, and you know every impulse is you saying, why don't you tell him about Jesus, and you're just so tired. You ever have that moment, and you're like, ah, if I get into this, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, that's always going to be the enemy trying to keep you from being fruitful. Because just mentioning it, you say, well, but they rejected me. That's okay. If they reject you, at least you spoke. It came out of your mouth. You shared it, and that's enough. And it's very important that we do that. There's actually a line that we have to cross, a line of confession, where we tell people what we believe. And that first level fruit is what he's looking for. In fact, that's how he knows. If we confess him before men, he confesses us before the Father. And our connectivity him to him and with him, with Jesus, as the vine and us as the branches. How do we get the life-giving sap of the vine into each of us as branches? Uh, we pull that sap and it flows through us. That is his eternal words. Let them come through you. Share your testimony. Share with people all the time, the best you can. If they reject you, uh, well, you, you have more blessings. And there's always that moment 
like when I'm telling someone about Jesus and I cross that line and I tell them Jesus is the only way. He died for you in the cross. I've had people get up and walk away from me immediately. I've had people get angry and yell at me. I've had people tell me, how can you be so simple-minded to believe something like that? I, I talk to people all the time that are putting down anything that I say in that regard or calling me foolish or how can you prove that? I meet with an atheist, as you know, uh, pretty regularly, and he's always down on that. But I am bearing fruit. Even if they don't eat the fruit that I'm bearing, I'm bearing fruit. I'm speaking it. I'm offering it out to people, and it makes me happy. I feel satisfied. My joy is fulfilled in that moment. Number three. We bear fruit by remaining in him in the body. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now first, before we go on, I want you to understand that Jesus is the head of what? The body. So we are the body of Christ, but we are connected to him. To be in him and remain in him, very simply, we just need to remain in church. We need to remain in a spiritual gathering of souls where we are interacting in the body of Christ. Then we will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. Verse 6, he continues, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers and dries up. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. This is especially true if you look at grapevines. Uh, I've been to vineyards out of curiosity. I've gone. If you've never visited a vineyard, a working vineyard, you should go check it out. It's really interesting. And when the vines that are separated and are not connected any longer, or maybe even the vine dresser is cut off and thrown, they dry up very dry. And they burn very easy. In fact, they'll use that to start fires. Because it's, it's so combustible. It's super dry. And that's what the scripture is referring to. That, that dried up thing. That if we are not connected. And I can't help but think. Because I remember as a young Christian. Being in church and going to church. Because there's an issue right now in Hebrews. It talks about it. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more, or the more, as you see the day approaching. You see, what day? Capital D, day in the Bible is talking about the return of Christ. And that could be soon. We don't know the way things are going on the earth. But yes, right now, I, there is a non-church involvement trend amongst God's people. There's a great falling away taking place right now. The very concept of Christianity is dying throughout the world. There are thousands of empty churches all over Europe. Thousands of them. Most of them now are being converted into tap houses and bars and restaurants and hotels and bed and breakfasts. And it's actually quite quaint and nice when you go and you say, oh, look, it's an old church. And that's becoming more and more common because people are stopping going to church. As the day approaches, less and less, there's a falling away taking place. And I think that if we want to bear fruit, this level is very important. Bearing fruit means you are part of the body of Christ. You remain connected. And when we're not connected, that is the same as taking that, that branch and breaking it off of the vine. How else is the sap going to get there? 
How else are you going to be able to receive that life-giving force? On your own, you might say, well, you know, I can just stay home. I'll watch online. I'll see on the Internet. And there are some people that watch me online, but it's not a replacement. Please don't take this as a replacement if you're watching me online. You need to be in a church. You need to look people in the eyes. You need to talk to people. You need to be together in the body, connected. And in that moment where two or three are gathered, he's there in the midst, and there's an energy and a power that flows why Paul said, I long to see you so that I might impart a spiritual blessing, he said to the Romans. Meaning he couldn't send it in a letter. He sent a scroll. He sent a letter, but it wasn't enough. He needed to, for the impartation, for the flow of power, for the sap and the energy of God to flow into that, we need to be connected to the body of Christ. This means that we are not to ever be apart from the body. When I was a young Christian, man, I loved going to church. I, uh, I loved being in the meetings. I just liked the energy that was there. I liked the feeling that was there. And I, it wasn't always a, a message that I enjoyed. Sometimes the messages were hard. Sometimes I didn't understand what the preacher said. And, but I still went. I stayed there and was receiving and learning. It's funny. A lot of messages I heard back then I didn't understand from some of the more sophisticated preachers of that time. I absolutely remember them now. And looking back, it's like I remember that, that Pastor Ernie Fry from Boston taught that mess. I remember the name of the preacher and what they preached and the concepts. And that's only in the body of Christ that you can get that. We need to constantly be receiving that, receiving that. I'm not just saying it because I'm a pastor and I like to see people in the church. I do. I wish we, we had consistency of people in the church but honestly it becomes real easy not to come and later when I hear that people didn't come because they went and saw Frozen 2 I mean how am I supposed to deal with that I mean I'm working really hard to put together this little space of time in a moment to give something and I'm doing my best so that you do have and receive and every pastor does that all over the world they're all people working and I know you get tired of the pastors hemming and hawing and complaining about people not coming and I'm not going to punish the ones that come for the ones that don't but we need to be together constantly learning it's so important that's just a level so the first level we saw we take our part in the kingdom to bear fruit. Second, we saw that we speak the words that come, they come out. Third, now we've seen that we, are, we remain in the body. We stay in the church where this, this transference, this dissemination of information begins. But now to number four, we see it taken to another level. We bear fruit by being discipled. Now, this is to my Father's glory, he says, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands in, and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now he's starting to move over to this theme of friendship, and he's talking about this relationship, but notice that he is explaining here the process of the Father 
to the Son, the Son to the disciples. That you see a chain of dissemination of information. This is mentor discipleship. That we get with people who have been further along and know more. They say and speak things by revelation or by experience, testimonies or rhema word. We accept that. Hmm, it changes us. But then later, we connect with people to teach them. And I found, I think one of the reasons why I grew so quickly as a believer years ago was within, by my second month, the end of my second month in the church, I was already being used to teach. And I was already sharing. Very early on, after just a few months old in the Lord, I was doing regular Bible studies. Then I was teaching in Sunday school. Because they were always bringing people to teach and to share and do these things. And so I was being taught by my pastor. And I had seven major mentors over the years, but I had um, most of them were in that one church where I would sit with brothers and sisters in the church and hear and listen. And I would take that information and I would turn around and share it with other people. Uh, sometimes I would plagiarize material, yes. I would just repeat it and not say where it came from. And they would say, wow, how do you know this? Well, you know, I just know some things. But I was young. I had a lot of excuses to do that. But if I learn something from someone now, say, you know, I heard this said by so-and-so or such. a, But it really doesn't matter. What matters is that what you're receiving is going through you. That's fruit. And notice that Jesus is continually focused on this in this context. That what we receive, we give. We love each other, he says. But I, as I receive from the Father, I give to you now. You give it forward to your disciples so that they can give it forward to their disciples I think one of the greatest things that I feel vindications about my existence on earth is like the recent trip when I went to Mexico. I love meeting disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples of my disciples. Generations that have gone that principles, this aspect of discipleship, why I work so hard to put together the core why I'm so excited about those six sessions I'm going to do at Kamyan because just one minute where I go and preach and teach and it's over, it's not the same as this. This is the next level of bearing fruit. This is me bearing fruit so that you can bear fruit, so that we can all be fruitful, that reproduction of God's wisdom. And he says here, keep my commands. It's interesting. I have kept my father's commands, he said. If you keep my commands... You say, well, what's the difference between the Father's commands and the commands of Jesus? Well, I already told you, there's 49 commands of Christ that I've identified in the scriptures. And bearing fruit means obeying those commands. You say, well, what are those commands? Well, most of them you do already. It's simple things, you know, uh, things where he said, like, don't store your treasure on earth, store it in, like, make your most valuable things the things in heaven. Uh, there's a, there's, the commands are easy. Uh, there's not, uh, it says uh, to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Every time there's the imperative mode and Jesus is saying, do this, that's a command. And that's what he's saying, do these things. Bearing fruit means laying down one's life for his friends, according to what he's saying here. And this is what has to happen. In fact, when you find discipleship, mentor relationships, both have to lay their lives down for that moment of the transfer of information. You have to sacrifice time to be there to learn, and the teacher has to sacrifice time to be there to teach. Jesus did it with his disciples. They laid down everything. They hired men to take their place in the fishing industry so they could go walk around with Jesus for three and a half years. And they did it. 
But look what happened. That's why when Jesus died and they did not see him resurrect yet, what happened to them? They went back to fishing. And they were fishing again. Because the industry was still there. They had it. That was what they did and how they functioned. But there was a greater call for them. And when the power of the Spirit came upon them after the resurrection of Jesus, where he spent another 40 days after the resurrection indoctrinating them even more, that's when it says he opened their minds to the scriptures. All of that is a discipleship process to cause us to bear fruit. And often people do not bear fruit because they've not been taught to do so. Uh, in my Bible class in the, in the core, that's exactly what I do. I make you read scriptures and produce messages and make outlines and preach them. And you have to do it in the class. And every day you have to give me an outline. Why? Because that's bearing fruit. So what I'm doing is I'm forcing my students every year to bear fruit. By the time they go through the three months of the program, they've produced so many messages that when I bring them on a trip and expect them to preach or teach in churches, they have a whole archive of messages already. They can preach any one of those because they spent all that time laboring to gather the information to bear fruit. And it's so easy to be fruitful when you look at it from this perspective. Jesus clearly describes the progressive relationship of the kingdom designed to enable this discipleship. So important. If you've never been through a systematic course or some uh, process, it's very important that you find the time when you can to do that foundation series, whatever. If anybody ever comes to me and says, look, can you bring me through a foundation series? I, will, I do it. No questions asked. I can, we can tailor the time. You say, well, when is your next class? Doesn't It can be your private class. If you come to me and you place a demand on the information that I carry, we will get together. That's what Ita did before she went to Cambodia. She did not have time to go to uh, the program or to the course. So she came and said, can, can you teach me to? And she was always begging me. Always, can, can you have some? Yes, yes. And so we did many hours, and I taught her. And now she's writing me all the time from Cambodia as a missionary, saying, thank God for those things you taught me. Exactly what you taught is happening, and this is going on here, and they said this and that, and I remembered what you taught me, and I'm so glad. Number five, this is our final one. We bear fruit by being a friend of God. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, that's... Let's reverse that a little and look at this. What if it said, um, you're not my friends if you don't do what I command? Well, so that's kind of a fickle friendship. What, if you don't do what he commands, I'm just telling you what the scripture says. That's what it says. If I command you something, Jesus says, and you're not doing it, well, I don't think that's very friendly. But if you do what I'm commanding, you're my friend. I want to be his friend. I'm a friend of God. I sing a song. So I'm a friend of God. So I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. In other words, a servant just uh, does what he's told. You see servants in certain realms. They don't really care about the business. You can go to a restaurant and tell when a waiter does not care about that business at all. They're always on their phone hiding. You know that thing they do when they walk through the dining area and you have your hand up and somehow they only show you the back of their head? You know, they have that skill to not see you. You're like, hello, I need something. And they don't, those are people who don't care. Those are servants. They have no invested interest. They don't care about that. They don't care at all. But when I worked with my wife in the restaurant and we did Soul Kitchen, um, that's, I was not a servant there. I was working. I was happy to meet the needs of all the people. And I worked hard. This is what he's talking about. He says, I'm not looking at you like that. I'm looking at you as friends. He says, 
I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I'm giving you this information. I'm bringing you on the inside. Remember he told them in that one moment where he said to others, I speak in parables, but to you, this, the knowledge of the secrets are given to you. I'm giving you the inside scoop. You're finding out things nobody else knows, the secrets. Shh, this, he's whispering to them and telling them, and there were, others didn't hear. Why? Because they spent time with him. They were there, like a friend, not just a servant. And that's what he wants. He wants us to be his friend. I like that he chooses us. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So here we see that intimacy with Christ produces fruitfulness, not servitude to Christ. In other words, are we servants? I'll tell you the difference between servants and friends. Servants respond out of fear of punishment when they're not obedient. If they don't obey, they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. And they are not interested or aware of the details of the business of the master. And so therefore, he does not give them an explanation because they're not wanting to know. They just want to do enough to get by. And friends relate to Christ out of intimacy and love. If we want to bear fruit for Jesus, we will be much more likely to do this if we are responding out of a commitment of friendship with him. We have our life invested into him and him into us. And how does that intimacy come? It comes through spending time in prayer, talking to him all the time, having that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord in your life at all times, and we will bear fruit if we have that friendship with him, but we have to develop that friendship. They chased Jesus. Jesus turned around and said, what do you want? He said, where are you going? Where are you staying? And he said, okay, come, I'll show you. And they connected. You have to go after that. Remember, we talked about that when we looked at the five areas of our responsibility versus the sovereignty of God. We have to go after these things. And this is another, this, this whole category is stuff we need to do. We need to be fruitful. You're not going to be fruitful just on your own, just by being there. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to make choices. Jesus said that he did, not, he did not choose him. He chose us. And if God has chosen us, I feel that, that we need to do the best that we can. These are the five things that we saw. Bearing much fruit, five things about bearing fruit for Christ. Number one, we bear fruit by taking our place in the kingdom. Number two, we bear fruit by hearing and repeating his words. Whatever you hear, tell someone. Share with them. We bear fruit by remaining in him in the body. That's consistent connection with the house of God, with the church, where we can find a role. Now, it's one thing to go to church and just be a spectator. It's another thing to find what can I do to function within those realms. You can participate on many different levels, and of course, I can help you to discover what that is. We bear fruit by remaining in him in the body. We bear fruit by being discipled. Uh, there's courses that we do. I have the core. We're going to be doing it again. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do it this year. I might do a different application. Pending what happens in January and February at Kamyan, it's very possible that I end up doing the core in conjunction with other churches. And we have people that we're meeting with regularly right now that are interested also in it. So um, there may be a ninth class format that we do. 
to where it's just a couple of hours each night over a period of time to make it easier for people to participate in it. And uh, we'll work that out as we go. If I see the interest in it, we will do it that way. I just want to be able to give that information to people so that you can be discipled. And five, we bear fruit by being a friend of God. Amen? We are friends of the Lord. Why don't we stand to our feet? Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Father, thank you for these words that we've studied. Lord, we know that you want us to bear fruit. It's not your design for us to be fruitless, but you want us to produce, and we will. We're going to be fruitful. We're going to certainly do what we've learned tonight. And it's quite a relief to know that you're not judging us by the number of people that actually make commitments. But it has everything to do with our confession of you, the repetition of the words that we receive, letting it out of our mouth, sharing with people, being open about our faith with people. We confess you before all men, Lord knowing that you'll confess us before the Father. We're grateful. Grateful, Lord, for your words teaching us. Grateful for your directions as you show us how to be fruitful. I'm most grateful, Lord, that you've made me a part of the body of Christ. I love being in the church. I love your house. And the zeal for your house has consumed me from the time I was very young. And I never have participated in the body of Christ from a perspective of, of only what I can get from it, but always, what can I do? How can I produce life? How can I produce fruit? What can I do? Lord, help us all to have that drive, that question. What can I do to make a difference? What can I do to bear fruit? Lord, help us to do it. We'll do that by being in the church, by being discipled, by being your friend. Thank you, Jesus. Let everything that we've studied tonight in the scriptures bring consolation, comfort, direction. It says that the word of God is profitable for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, and for instruction in righteousness. We want to be right. We want to do the right thing. And we know that means your word teaching us. Jesus, we accept your words tonight. We accept and take our place in the body of Christ as fruitful members. We want your joy to be full in us, Lord. Thank you for calling us to love one another. Lord, I love the body of Christ. I love everyone in the church. As I pray for everyone on a regular basis, Lord, let that love flow and make everyone strong. I pray what Paul prayed for the Colossians. I pray it for the people of Antioch and people who watched in different places. Lord God, let them understand the will as directed by the Spirit. Let them receive that wisdom and that knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives so that they can go and bear much fruit. Comfort those that are in a season of pruning so that they'll make it through that and see a greater time of productivity in the future. Oh, God, we look forward. We look forward to that day that we'll stand before you and say, Here, and hear the words, Well done, 
my good and faithful servant. You say, well, how can I hear those words? Well, Matthew 25 says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. That's fruitfulness. So teach us to do these things, Lord. We're grateful, Jesus. We're grateful, Jesus. We love you. We love you, Lord.